Hola, yo soy Margarita y estás escuchando Limehouse Podcast. This is Paddy Ashland and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. What a good name that is. Hi, I'm Tom Brake and this is the Limehouse Podcast. Hello, this is Nick Clegg and you're listening to the Limehouse Podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Because I'm not persuaded by the case for war. This is what positive politics can do. Okay, well, welcome back to the Limehouse Podcast. I'm here with George Turner, although I'm not physically here with him. We are, in fact, in separate rooms. I'm in Sydenham. He is in Vauxhall, London. Say hello, George. Hello, hello. I've been laid down with pestilence and disease so i'm doing this episode of the podcast from my sick bed yeah i mean i don't know if any of you guys know what george looks like but i mean he's he's a pretty handsome guy so this is quite a hard thing for me to think about this beautiful this beautiful faced man all poorly and sick and sick in bed you know especially after new years as well and Christmas. during during new years during new years oh god what did you get what did you do i am sorry for you but did you did you get the massive sympathy did 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 people stay with you or were you left at your own devices? Mm, well, you know, now that I have a child, we stay in anyway, so it was all it was all good. But anyway, enough about me. Enough about me. What about you? Well, it was it was a pretty cool Christmas fest- festive period because well we got picked up by the Guardian, which was pretty pretty rocking. And, and not I, only I, not only. We featured it because Hesseltine obviously uh went hell for leather on on brexit and what what did he what did he mention george because i I don't want to um fumble this well basically he said that he thought that jeremy corbyn as prime minister would be awful um but that brexit would be even worse and so um you know actually in normal times the idea that a tory lord is saying that a labor government would be awful isn't uh isn't scandalous but the brexiteers just went nuts about this basically calling for him to be chucked out of the tory party because obviously for for the kind of hard right wing of of the tory part of the kind of brexit brigade they uh you know jeremy corbyn as prime minister is like their worst nightmare so what heseltine was saying is basically you know brexit is worse than your worst nightmare uh, and that kind of triggered some kind of mental spasms uh, where they all started going nuts. Norman Tebbit started calling for the whip to be removed. Uh, interestingly, Norman Tebbit, not that long ago, was saying how he didn't think uh, he could understand why conservative voters might want to vote for UKIP. So it's not exactly like he's the most loyal uh, Tory party servant ever. Yeah. Um I mean, it sort of served to highlight the massive uh, factions or fractions within uh, within the Tory party itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it just shows that actually beneath the surface, they are still uh, at daggers uh, at each other. And, and this was kind of a case in point, really. You know, Heseltine then went on TV to explain his, his words. Um, and I think actually all of this really was making his point quite well because what he was really telling you in the podcast I think if you kind of go through all of that bluster was that 
Brexit still has the potential to be highly damaging to the Tory party because uh, it could see the party split apart as the decision about what exactly they want out of the Brexit negotiations comes closer. Uh, And that, to me, was the kind of more important takeaway from the interview than the takeaway that the kind of nutters, uh, the Brexit nutters came away with. Yeah, and I suppose for, for me, just even just having this little podcast on like the the headlines of the BBC on Radio 4, I stood in the kitchen and the Limehouse podcast came on, that was quite a cool thrill. Yeah, for our, for our, little, for our little show. Well, I mean, it, it just shows that, you know, we are doing highly relevant interviews and you're doing highly relevant interviews and um, everyone who's joined since uh, or has subscribed since since the Hazeltine time stay tuned because I'm sure there'll be a lot more to come in years in this following year yeah yeah no it's, it's been really good I mean obviously hi- highlighting the, the the splits within the Tory party is, is quite interesting but I didn't I, I I would have thought that would have been quite an interesting chance for one of one of the Labour spokespersons to come out on it and and call it out. Uh, well, obviously the splits within the Tories, but also perhaps I mean, but it is it is kind of like a backhanded sort of. What would you say? It's kind of like an insult, really. It's like you know, I mean, he does later on go. He goes on to say like how we've survived Labour governments before and blah, 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 and essentially they're all complete crap and the Tory governments are the only ones you really want. So it's kind of, it was a, almost like a hard position for the Labour Party to come out on it and say, ha-ha, look at the split in the Tories, but at the same time it's sort of like, I, I don't know, it's like a hard one for them really, wasn't it? Well, I think that's a good point you're making because I think what that's really about is that the Labour Party seems completely incapable of performing as an opposition and taking these opportunities you know at the end of the day yeah okay leave aside the fact that Hazeltine was just slagging off Jeremy Corbyn he was demonstrating that the party is deeply deeply split on this issue and they are incapable or incapable of taking advantage of it and they're incapable because actually they haven't made up their own minds and they're so unclear about the issue themselves and I think that was quite interesting because you know at the end of the year you also interviewed Ken Clark and you know both Ken Clark and Heseltine are convinced that Labour is going to turn to be anti-hard Brexit at some point yeah. but Corbyn's not showing any signs of doing that and he's not taking the opportunities that are given to him hmm. well yeah I mean is that is that incompetence or is that is it the, it's the strategy or anything to do with Brexit? We just don't talk about it. I leave it. I leave it to Keir Starmer and and and, and whoever and Diana to like either completely contradict themselves or just or just say nothing at all. Yeah, but that that's a strategy that's going to become very difficult to pursue um, as we get closer and closer to Brexit itself. You know, people are going to have to want answers. They're going to want answers about what their politicians' uh, positions are. Uh, and I guess, you know, that's it. You know, the the, the fear of people like Ken Clark and Michael Hesitine is that Labour are going to turn against Brexit and that is going to leave the Tories very, very vulnerable because 
in what Heseltine was saying is at that point he feels that Brexit will be so unpopular that Theresa May will be left in a position where she is pursuing a very deeply, deeply unpopular policy with the opposition facing against her and people from her own party deserting her or voters from her own party deserting her. I don't think um, I don't think people like Heseltine are going to join the Labour Party, although I did notice he said on... <laughs> on the TV that would be torn about how to vote, I think. Oh my God, yeah, that was on Sky News. I was, I was a bit, I didn't pick up on that. Uh, it was just kind of like impossible really to pick up on everything, but that that's mad. I mean, I suppose that is fundamentally one of the more, he kind of, he takes it, if you'd said that, I think, in our interview, I think we probably would have almost got headlines, but that's quite funny. But mm. yeah, no, it was, it was quite an interesting day for us all, I think, because a little, you know, we're a DIY podcast. If you look at all the other podcasts online, within the top 20, they're all massively sponsored. They're all got pretty phenomenally good funding. So it was a really cool day, I think, for anyone who's got a DIY podcast and is just trying to say something and do something a little different, I suppose. Um, but also, you know, yeah. one of the things that Brexit exposed was that the the kind of traditional establishment media are missing the stories and they're missing the stories because they're only following the kind of rhythm of the government press releases and what the leader of the opposition is saying and etc and actually there's all this stuff that's going on underneath that which is hugely important and I guess that's what we'll be seeking to to uncover over the next year. I want to just throw in a new Lib Dem headline that came up again on the uh, the, the cover of the uh, the front page of the Guardian today: the housing crisis. Is, do you think it's a change in tact for the Lib Dems for two thousand eighteen? They're going to try and focus on more like homegrown roots uh, sort of campaigns as opposed to Brexit, 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 Brexit. Well, I think I think kind of Vince Cable alluded to that a bit in the New Year's message that he released, which uh, we can talk about how we feel about that message. Later, I thought it was a bit cringeworthy, the whole thick of it set up to it. But anyway, um, but, you know, so he did talk about, you know, broadening the, the kind of campaigning. At the same time, you know, empty homes has been a kind of perennial Lib Dem issue that the party has banged on about for years and years and years. I mean, I was looking at the detailed breakdown of the figures that they provided uh, tonight before we chatted and I mean it is quite interesting I mean I don't think it is the big issue that it is sometimes presented as there are interesting things in there but you look at the top local authorities that have the most amount of vacant properties and it's places like uh, Leeds and Durham and Burnley and the Rhonda uh, in Wales and I did a quick Zoopla on some of these places and some of these you know some places in Durham Durham you can still pick up a three bedroom house for 50 grand and fascinatingly uh you know some of these houses that I was looking at uh on Zoopla tonight if people are going on to go <laughs> dash out and buy property in in Durham you, you you look at the kind of property history and they the last time that they sold was in like 2006 2007 for more so these are places that basically have never recovered from the housing crash of 10 years ago or the financial crisis of 10 years ago. And so, you know, if we talk and, and that kind of that speaks a lot to the kind of imbalance in the economy. You see London completely booming ahead 
and as a result house prices going out completely out of control uh, and other parts of the country just being left behind now as a result those places are left with a kind of an oversupply of property sometimes now the solution is not to move people into these properties because you know what they're going to do but it is to regenerate the the economy outside of london so that um there is demand for people to move uh and to to and take some of the pressure off london because uh, we live in a country which is far 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 too london centric i say as a as a lifelong londoner i mean there are some things on there though that are interesting so like um i think one of the authorities that was near the top of the list is croydon uh and you know it's just a scandal that any london borough should have over a thousand empty homes on their uh, in their area and kensington and chelsea as well you know this is the this is the place with the grenfell tower disaster happened and people are still being put up in hotels but i think i'm right in saying there's over a thousand empty properties there too so i mean that is a real real issue that 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 needs to be pursued and then there's this other thing that you know they're talking about uh that councils can actually just effectively take over these houses i mean we you were you were talking about that so you tell us what that's about so they was the 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 research from the lib dems was also talking about these the idea that if you have lots of empty properties in your area the council can actually just take them over um so you know tell us what that's about because well yeah well exactly yeah and I, i mean again i mean for me i don't know whether it is is it is it Dad's Army kind of like council run? Is it is, is it a, a, a state where people do have these powers? You know, they do have these um, I don't know de- devolve powers or whatever councils to go in and remove it. You know, take put these houses back into the hands of people that actually need them. Um, I think the council can it, rent them out. I think what it is the council can rent them out and then they just pass on the money to the owner. <laughs> they say, listen, yeah. if you're going to just sit there and do nothing we'll rent it for you but it's but i think the research has shown it's basically hardly ever used this power just hardly ever used it is it is it is just something at least to be seen that the liberal democrats are trying to move on something other than brexit um because obviously like you said you know seeing their 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 campaign over the christmas period their festive message well the thing that stand out was it was the kind of whole setup of it is this this kind of radio program where vince is delivering this new year's message and then you've got these yeah. kind of three twenty-something advisors who are all writing his speech for him, uh, and then he basically takes the speech and then sits in the radio studio and puts the speech in his pocket and takes out the one he's written himself. Oh, I see. And and then and then reads from that, and it's kind of like, you know, I'm not one of these people that are bossed around by the Westminster kind of twenty-year-old <laughs> brigade, but it was right. It was just a bit bizarre and it was a bit kind of like, it was almost like, I think the problem with it was it was it was trying to get out of this kind of Westminster bubble thing and show I'm not like a Westminster bubble politician, but it was doing it yeah. with a conceit which was only understood by people in the Westminster bubble. <laughs> right? So it's like, yeah. it basically was a ripoff of the kind of thick of it type program a program which is watched by people who are interested in politics uh yeah and therefore using a program that or the kind of stuff that you'd see on a program 
aimed at I, people. I see. What, is it? I mean, is it humour heavy? Is it? Is it the jokes in it? Well, I, just, I didn't think it was that funny. I, just, I thought the, the message itself was a really good message. I just thought it was a distraction or there's kind of a kind of attempt at humour around it, which wasn't yeah. that that funny. And have you, did you see uh, uh, Theresa May's Christmas message? No, I didn't. No, see, I didn't see it either, but it has got absolutely castigated online, which you'd probably expect, really, you know, because I suppose it's almost like a, you, you, it's in a way, it's all not too dissimilar. I've always thought of the Tory Christmas messages are sort of not too dissimilar to the Queen's Christmas message, although the Queen's, I suppose, you never really remember anyway. So, um, and I suppose Jeremy Corbyn, although having said that, the Queen's speech, I thought, I don't know, I don't know, fair play she did a pretty good job i know highlighting all the important stuff and i got a little bit teary-eyed when she started talking about grenfell so you know i'm a royalist i suppose deep down well there's, there's some of you out there i mean i thought um uh corbyn's one was about you know i think a new political consensus to break the old political yeah. consensus uh which right. i found interesting because i think one of the most remarkable features of corbyn as leader of the Labour party is just how frequently he votes with the tories um and <laughs> and and i don't think that's the new political consensus that many of his supporters uh think that that he represents um well yeah and i, I suppose 2018 might well be the year that that consensus is broken or sorry the the political conscience and the consciousness of the the younger demographic that voted for him, hopefully that will, you know, hit the pressure. They'll put some pressure on him there, with, with specifically with Brexit. Well, I think it's just about, I mean, I think the other, you know, the thing is that what we realised in 2017 was just how much of a ball ache Brexit is, uh, you know, and it's terrible thing for everyone who didn't want it to happen in the first place but for people who did want it to happen they just thought it was like oh i vote and then the next day we leave the european union and then that's all fine right isn't it and we have our sovereignty back and stuff like that but yeah you know it actually takes an enormous amount of um effort on behalf of the government um i mean andrew adonis's resignation letter the other week picked up on this saying something like you know every department is just spending all of its time dealing with Brexit and has very little time to do anything else. Uh, and none of the yeah. people working in these departments actually like it. And um, and so Parliament is dominated by that as well. And so if you've got, you know, the leader of the opposition voting with the Tories on that issue, which is dominating uh, the political agenda then you might as well have a coalition government because it's not that different. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the only thing you would say is they're sort of, they are miles apart socially, but but then, you know, in terms of privatisation versus um, putting you know, railways back in, 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 the public, in the public domain. But I suppose you could say then Brexit is actually the one factor that will possibly, could possibly break us as a... As a nation, and, and underfunding the NHS will look like you know, blooming Christmas pudding compared to the fallout of Brexit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the the, the nationalisation stuff is is the interesting issue because that's clearly been in the news this week with the rail fares going up, and I just think that, um, you know, the public in general 
are pro-nationalisation of the of the railways. I think it's probably a popular policy. And the Tories are doing absolutely nothing to prove that their model is any better. <laughs> in fact, doing everything against it. I know. I would. I would love to do an generally. I'd love to do an episode on breaking down what precisely uh, nationalising the railways would mean, good and bad, from like from a you know neutral's perspective. I don't necessarily want to just write off that idea completely as just because it's from Corbyn. You know, I think that would be a mistake to make. But, I mean, there must be a way of making things a little more efficient and also bailing out Richard Branson et al. You know, all those sort of... that that I don't know how much the public can stomach, to be honest, with that one. Yeah, it's... it's I mean, I have no issue with it. I mean, you know, I've lived in many European countries... And they all have national rail systems. Like Britain is one of the few countries which doesn't have uh, a, a developed and nationalised rail system. Um, so you know, and and then again, you know, this idea that the world that we live in is normal uh, when so many people today travel. You know, they can get their easyJet flight anywhere in Europe, and they see that there's an alternative ex- that exists with nationalised railways. And uh, everything hasn't collapsed. Um, yeah, means that I think it's a kind of popular policy. And I think that you know, as I say, Chris Grayling this week being out of the country when the rail fares are going up and uh, strikes are going on, etc. Yeah, it's just doing nothing to make the case for their model. And maybe yeah. they've lost faith in it themselves. In which case they need to change their model yeah no absolutely i think adonis is um also calling out chris grayling this evening on twitter saying you know are you gonna come and face you know yeah face me <laughs> off face, face me off well, he, he was he was oh, tweeting a news oh, night oh, yeah yeah saying maybe we can have a debate yeah. in news night what, what i say is maybe you can have a debate on the limehouse podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that would be great i mean grayling Louise, and adonis on the line. I mean, we don't have four microphones, so it would need our patron contributors to contribute for another microphone. Hey, that's a good segue. It is. So, if you do feel like going to uh, Patreon dot uh, com forward slash the Limehouse Podcast, you can indeed donate just a few quid a month to help getting this program up to a, a, a into the stratosphere. Uh, and we're, we're coming down from the stratosphere now after being in the headlines for a little while but we're, we're, we really need your support still and we have um, we actually have um, a, a lovely Patreon uh, what do you call it, donor yeah, called Grant Landon who's a bit of a bit of a, a, a long long time limer and um, I don't we want to grow we want to grow that little audience because why why do we want to do that? Because we want to be writing for The Guardian one day and living in massive mansions with duck ponds in it. And we've forgotten all about you by then. God, I'm really rambling now, George. You're going to have to help me out. Why should people donate to the, to Patreon? Well, I think, you know, this is a voluntary podcast at the moment, but it takes a lot of time. It does take money. Uh, we have to buy equipment and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, I think we have an aspiration for it to be a sustainable long-term project. 
And for that, we need funding. Uh, you know, we don't have the backing of a major corporation behind us or big advertisers. And I think neither would we really want to. Uh, what we want is to provide really good quality information for the people who pay for it and which is the listener. So if you want something which is tailored for you, uh, rather than you being the product we sell to an advertiser or uh, or anything else, you know, or, or however one of the other models that, that media is produced, then uh, it would be great if you could uh, chip in and contribute to the costs. Yeah, absolutely. You say you always say it better than me. You, you know, Tom Tom King, regular panelist on this show, always does it better than me as well. But yeah, no, hey to Grant, Grant Landon. So yes, you will get a shout out on the show. And we are working on a feature as well for you lovely uh, contributors to the show. Uh, and also just any regular limer, limer as well. So yeah. But anyway, look, uh, we're probably going to call it are, we, are you ready to go or do you want to add some more bits, pearls of wisdom to the show? No, I mean, this is, you know, the start of the start of the year for the Limehouse podcast. Uh, it's come a long way. Um, it's a shorter episode than normal because, you know, it is the start of the year. So we haven't uh, had time yet to, to schedule our interviews and, and that sort of stuff. But um, maybe a, a bit of a preview of what's coming up in the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah, well, we've got... God, you know, it's so funny, I hate spoilers, but sod it, we'll just say it anyway. Uh, we've got Natasha Devon coming up, who's obviously... She was involved with the David Cameron uh, uh, government, and she was uh, essentially pushed to one side because she, she, she called it out. She called out the, the situation of the mental health and lack of funding and the total shower of shit that it was uh, under David Cameron. And she kind of just shone a massive spotlight on it. So she's coming on the show, and that's real soon. Really excited about that. We've got um, Marie Louise Irvine, who's a campaigner for the... She's an independent who ran in the general election, actually, down in Guildford. And she she tried to get everyone down there to, to get behind her, you know, Green, Labour, Lib Dem, to oust uh, Jeremy Hunt, sorry. And he... Um, yeah, it didn't, it didn't work, but, you know, got reasonably close. It was very exciting. And so we'll, we'll definitely be talking NHS with her. If anyone listening is, is wants to ask some questions uh, or suggest some questions, always very welcome. Um, what's the way they can get in touch with? Well, they can email the show, and that's the Limehouse Podcast at gmail.com. Or we can, you, you can flash us, flash us? What? Well, flash us a message on, <laughs> on Twitter at, at Limehouse Pod, and also we're on Facebook, and that's just the the, the Limehouse podcast. I mean, is we we have been like it was so funny after that Hesseltine headline had an absolute deluge of new followers on Twitter, but no no more banter. Just we got a we got a few we did got a few trolls as well, which is quite interesting. Oh, nice. I think you what know the when trolls start, say? Maybe that should be the regular feature of the podcast. Tr- new from the trolls. I know. I think that's a pretty good idea because. Some of it was so funny. It was, you know, literally almost parodying themselves on the illiteracy and the absolute spiteful hatred coming out of their their fingers for simply just daring to be vaguely democratic. Um, but there you go. There you go. I don't know if that's a positive note to end on or not, really. Yeah. Um, well, I should also say that, uh, you know, in, apologize, in apologies to the National Health Action Party... That is the oh, well done. party of Marie. And I think, you know, for me, the interesting question, but, you know, maybe this might provoke some listeners into 
thinking about what they uh, what they want to ask is, um, you know, why start your own party? You know, most campaigning groups go the way of trying to influence the major parties, but clearly the people behind National Health Action didn't think that was working. Also, I guess the Women's Equality Party have taken a similar route as setting up a, a political party to pursue an issue. It'd be great actually just to just to hear a little bit more about why they decided to take that approach, how they feel it's going, what what the kind of what progress they think they've made, and hitches they might have had along the way, and uh, and whether that strategy has been a, a successful one or or not. Yeah, no, I, I think that's what really interests me. I definitely want to ask her about progress, the Progressive Alliance. I went to a, um, an, an evening around the time of the general election that was headed up by Neil. Lawson of Compass and um, quite a few people were there. We had some people like Zoe Williams and um, Clive Lewis, and uh, yeah, and Marie Louise was there as well. And I'd, I'd I'd love to talk to her about that. And like George says, you know, if you've got a question that you want to put to us, just stick it in an email. It's really that simple, you know. And we were going to have tweet a, it. We're have some serious. Well, yeah, tweet Facebook it, it. Yeah, at Limehouse Pod. Yeah, there's just so um, many ways to contact us. It's almost there like so there are so many ways that it's it's people have have like, are crushed by the amount of thinking they need to do to <laughs> choose how they're going to contact us. Well, I get I get really com- I get easily confused anyway. You know, I I bought an amplifier a couple of years ago and it had like three or four extra knobs and stuff on it, and I just I nearly took it back. Quite frankly, it, it scares the living bejesus out of me. But um, but yeah. Anyway, look, we should go now because I'm rambling. Yes, it's always good to avoid that. Yeah. All right then. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say goodbye and thanks so much for 2017. And here's to your lovely support and our growing project for 2018. Brilliant. Goodbye to everyone and hope to hear from you soon. Nice one. All right. Bye.